Welcome to the third episode of the Food Can Fix It podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Stixett. Today we're talking to Abigail Heron, Global Head of Responsible Investment at Aviva Investors, which manages close to half a trillion dollars worth of assets. We discuss why investors are increasingly paying attention to the financial risks connected to factory farming, oceanic plastic, antimicrobial resistance, and the global decline of pollinators. There are significant risks to the way we produce our food that are lurking in the blind spots of the world's capital markets. Left unchecked, these risks could have potential financial impacts running into trillions of dollars. Abigail tells us how Aviva is working with the financial community to help us towards a more sustainable, well-fed future. Dear Abigail, welcome to the EAT podcast. You are the uh, Global Head of Responsible Investment for Aviva, where you lead the group's work on environmental, social and governance engagement across all asset classes. Can you tell us a little bit about what that job entails? Sure, I'd be delighted to. So I spend my days talking to the senior management of the companies that we invest in. Maybe over breakfast, we're talking about climate change. Maybe lunchtime, it's antimicrobial resistance. And in the afternoon, it could be anything from water scarcity to gender and diversity to sustainable fisheries. So it's very varied. I'm never bored. <laughs> and uh, always interested in asking the, the probing and challenging questions to identify which companies in our portfolios are sustainable leaders and which are sustainability laggards. Just for uh, our audience to get a sense of, um, uh, of of context, what is the size of, of Aviva's uh, assets under management? How big is your portfolio? So we've got around half a trillion US dollars of assets under management. Mm-hmm. Aviva PLC is the sixth largest insurance company in Europe and the largest in the UK. And you're also part of a, of a team, of a rather big team. I noticed that you have... 30 responsible investment officers at Aviva. Why do you have so many? So if you think about the responsible investment officers as ambassadors for responsible investment throughout the whole of Aviva investors. So that doesn't mean that we we enjoy a team of 30 people, but we have 30 ambassadors in different aspects. So maybe on the credit desk, maybe uh, in the emerging market equities team. And we meet once a quarter to share the latest thinking in responsible investment and talk about how we're really getting environmental, social and governance topics into our processes and our systems. And uh, so you were saying that you meet with, uh, with, um, with uh, management from the various companies in your portfolio and, uh, and, 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 and rank them on the sustainability. What consequences does it have if... Uh, if they're not meeting your criteria or they don't see response, so does it have any consequences? It can have consequences. Um, obviously, we don't click our fingers on a sustainability topic and expect a company to change instantaneously. We are pragmatic. We understand these things take time. And often with systemic issues, they take collaboration as well. But our patience does has, have limits. Um, if we're thinking about, for example, our climate change approach, where a company continues to commit its capital expenditure, its money, to new coal-fired power stations, for example, then we would seriously think about divesting, and we have done in around 17 cases. In around 17 cases. 
Are these 17 cases all around the world or are there specific regions that are more laggard than others? Uh, they're clustered more in Asia, mm-hmm. but I would say every time zone is covered pretty much. And any particular sectors that are more uh, challenging than others? I would say actually in the food producers and food retailer sector, there's good superficial awareness of sustainability issues. But when you scratch beneath the surface, sometimes the answers can come apart at the seams. Interesting. So that was actually going to be my next question. And in, 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 in how you sense in your meetings, how uh, whether sustainability is, is tends to be anchored firmly at the top and, and properly infused throughout the entire corporate culture, or do you often find some embattled CSR officer fighting a lonely fight in some corner? The best companies, as you'd expect, have a sustainability champion at the very top of the organisation. But um, one example that I'll share with you today uh, from last week, I was speaking to a beverage company that makes north of 50% of its revenue from fruit. So soft fruit, Mm. orange juice, these sorts of things. And I asked a fairly soft question around global pollinator decline and did this feature on their risk register what were they doing to keep on top of the latest science around it how would it impact upon their supply chains are they talking to their tier one and tier two suppliers um and just the blank face i got was alarming it wasn't on their radar at all it wasn't on their radar at all um and what's more i had to brief them about colony collapse disorder the global decline in pollinators some of the reasons behind that and if you're a large company with food supply chains all over the world that are highly dependent on wild pollination it really shouldn't be for your investor to have to brief you on these sorts of things now that being said in i'm not going to try to defend the company that you were having a meeting with (laughs) but i do know that you know perhaps slightly more about pollinators than your average um than your average um person you developed an interest in that when you were on holiday some time ago can you tell us a little about that story abigail sure so i was on holiday in california typical road trip and I was spending my time concentrating on driving on the other side of the road, <laughs> given the large excess on the hire car. And I saw a lorry at the side of the road. And I'm under the impression that with a British accent, you can talk to anyone in California and they'll talk to you back. And as it happened, I went over to the lorry driver and I said, you know, what's going on here? And he had around about 100,000 bees in the back of his lorry. And he started off near Los Angeles and drove all the way up to Washington State, driving through the monoculture almond fields, releasing the bees for pollination, and then calling them back and then heading on further up the coast. And this was because there was insufficient wild pollination. If you imagine, the almond crops only blossom for, let's say, two weeks of the whole year. So... It goes from feast to famine for any wild pollinators, and so they've simply vanished from those areas. So that initially piqued my interest. And I came across another strange way that we're trying to plug the gaps from wild pollinators, and that's on the other side of the planet in China. Because of overuse of pesticides, there's now a lack of wild pollinators for apples and pears. So 
people are taking matters into their own hands quite literally and taking up small artistic brushes and pollinating the apples and pears by hand. <gasps> so apples and pears are now a very prestigious fruit because of the, the cost to make it. labour intensive. And exactly. Yeah. Wow. And I read somewhere that even if everybody on the planet was to pick up the artistic brush and pollinate our own food, it still wouldn't be enough. <gasps> so the alternatives are not really alternatives. No, they're really not. So then, now you did just leave it at that after talking to, you all, to, to, to your pollinator man in California. You came <laughs> back home and decided to take a... Did you, did you study it as well? Did you do? I did. Um, I did a postgraduate course um, at the University of Cambridge mm-hmm. and you had free range on what you wanted to study for your assignment. So I decided to focus on pollinators and portfolios. So what is the investment risk to the average investment portfolio of a global decline in pollinators which sectors stand to be the most adversely affected which companies are the keystone actors what questions should investors be doing um what questions should investors be asking and what's a good answer as well what are the best companies doing so something tells me that you might have had something to do with uh with uh with why um Aviva released a report yesterday saying called three of the blind spots in sustainable agriculture. Now, one of the topics of there is about pollinators. But why on earth is a company like Aviva putting out a story, on, a report on agriculture? The report was um, actually catalyzed by yourselves. Oh. So <laughs> the Eat Forum provided um, a very welcome opportunity to, to put this report together. It's It covers topics that we've been asking companies about for a while, but we just haven't said anything particularly public about it. So its focus is the frontiers of sustainable agriculture, those pertinent but emergent topics that aren't really at the top of um, a company's radar or an investor's radar, um, but are definite blind spots in the system. So the thinking behind the paper is to sort of fast-track investors' knowledge on these three topics, the topics being um, the global loss of pollinators, sustainable fisheries and oceanic plastics and antimicrobial resistance, Mm -hmm. and basically take all the the hours of research that we've done, distill it down to something where investors can get up to speed very quickly on these topics. Investors have to cover such a broad range of topics, so anything that we can do to increase the caliber of conversations between companies and their investors on these topics um, is what we're aiming for. And and your CEO, Mark Wilson, whose book today at the uh, the Eat Stock on Food Forum coined a a new term, at least a new term for me, beeconomics. I love the word. What what, what did you mean by beeconomics? Well, there's a whole world of puns that you can make when you're talking about bees. Um, So I thought we were fairly restrained. (laughs) You were. (laughs) But it's basically about thinking of the direct economic implications of the global decline in pollinators that we're seeing. It's about 75% of the world's food crops uh, depend at least in part on pollination. And bees do the heavy lifting there in the majority of cases. And there's been some studies that put it at around um, 500 billion US dollars annually as the value that wild pollinators add to our food supply chains. So it's about taking the value that pollinators add and bringing it into the the thinking and the systems and, and 
how investors go about looking at company valuations. And uh, your report concludes with a call to action for broader stakeholders, including companies and, and public policymakers and civil society. What is that call to action? So the call to action is to shine a light on these blind spots, the pollinators, the oceanic plastic, the sustainable fisheries, and the global threat of antimicrobial resistance and everything that entails, and make sure that it's right up there on the agenda between investors and companies when they're having conversations, for NGOs and the scientific community to give investors the information they need, and to make sure that the calibre of these discussions is a lot higher than it currently is. Aviva's, um, Aviva's very active on the sustainable investment front. And what role more broadly do you think that investors can, can play in, in helping the planet grow food sustainably and achieve the SDGs? I think there's a role more broadly that all different stakeholders can uh, pick up the mantle of, not just investors, and that is around the sustainable development goals. So we're one of several parties that are setting up the World Benchmarking Alliance and that's taking the sustainable development goals and building benchmarks or league tables, if you like, of companies' performance against the different metrics. So maybe it's STG 14, Life Underwater, um, and thinking about which companies have the most sustainable seafood supply chains. Um, and the whole concept of the World Benchmarking Alliance is free, open source league tables that make the SDGs uh, a competitive sport and drive a race to the top. So, Harnessing that inherent competitiveness that you often find in the business community. Absolutely. Mm. And there's one thing for sure, if you appear in the bottom quartile of a ranking of the scale that the World Benchmarking Alliance is aiming for, that gets to the board's agenda. It, it piques the interest and drives that race to the top, which is how we feel um, one of the key ways of delivering the SDGs will manifest itself. And you're also involved in uh, a coalition called the Farm Animal Investment Risk and Return, uh, which I think you're amongst over around 150 institutional investors with collective assets under management for near almost six trillion dollars what so it, it i mean it's it's first of all it's huge um what are you what is that coalition working on and 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 is it a reflection of growing momentum in the investor community uh to be more um uh, proactive in in their approach to to the companies that they invest in so i have never seen a topic pick up so much momentum as i have with the work that FAIR is doing um, on the environmental, social and governance impacts of factory farming, um, antimicrobial resistance and everything that that goes along with that. Um, I'm delighted to say that I've recently taken up the post of vice chair of FAIR Mm. and um, we have built um, a very sort of solid base of investor support The only parallel I can really draw uh, with the topic gaining so much traction over a short period of time is with the 30% Club, which I've also been involved with about getting 30% of women into the boardrooms Mm -hmm. of UK PLC and beyond. And so I see similarities with FAIR there. It's a topic that no one was talking about, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Then FAIR came on the scene and wrote reports by investors for investors that highlighted the whole breadth of issues inherent in factory farming that were really flying below the radar 
um, and made it easy to, for, for investors to see which companies were opening themselves wide open to all sorts of risks and which companies were embracing a, a low-carbon um, plant-based future. future. And, and you see, though, the, the, the plant-based um, low-carbon market as, as, as growing. It's, it's a rapidly growing market, providing huge opportunities for, for investors and new companies alike. And the acquisitions of these sort of startup plant-based protein companies by the big players in the industry is happening on an almost weekly basis. So uh, the capital markets can't get enough of this at the moment. Is Aviva invested in any, in any of these? Um, we invest mainly in sort of the big blue chip companies mm -hmm. who are the, themselves the companies that are then acquiring these startups. So indirectly, we're a little bit further along the chain. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the Tysons of the world, for example, um, we, we have exposure to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, final question, and this is a question that we, we like to ask to all our guests. Um, Eat is all about healthy and sustainable food but also delicious food and tasty food if it's not tasty it's not a solution so we'd like to ask our guests when you invite your friends or your family over for a nice tasty and healthy delicious meal what do you prepare for them mm, good question <laughs> at the moment it's lebanese oh i can't get enough lebanese um all vegan yeah um it's a lebanese meze exactly mm. Mm. I've got far too many cookbooks <laughs> um, that, that are cluttering up my kitchen at the moment. Um, but luckily, equally far too many friends to come over and enjoy them. So um, that that, that's like the flavour of the month. No doubt it'll change next month. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Abigail, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much, Marianne. That's it from us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We're back next week with our guest, Lena Gordon, the newly appointed director for the Stockholm Resilience Centre to discuss water sustainability and nudging consumers towards diets that are better for both people and planet. In the studio with me today was producer Gustav Glomset. I'm Marianne Stixet, and you've been listening to the Food Can Fix It podcast produced by EAT.